standing on the promises. I'm actually glad I'm standing this morning. <laughs> I do, <clears throat> actually about 5 o'clock in the morning, I get up and do a bike ride around Lake Monroe. And uh, I try to stay on a bike trail. I don't like to be on the road. But the trail was closed on a section, so I had to move over on the road. And as I did that, I actually got hit by a car. And, uh, you know, I... You know, after you kind of get through those situations and you unwind the clock and kind of play in your mind what happened, and I thought, you know what, just one second earlier, and I don't think I would have been here, uh, at least not in this condition. <laughs> but I was thinking how many times that we go through our lives and the Lord protects us, and probably a lot of times we're not even sure. Uh, we don't even, we're unaware of it, right? And uh, so thankful for that this morning. <clears throat> I want to go back to Second um, Peter one four to eleven. Last time I had, when we covered, remember over the summer we were covering First Peter and Second Peter, and I had Second Peter chapter one, and I only made it through like a couple verses. And then David, by the way, David, sorry you're not here. I hear you have a really bad cold. I hope you get over that. But uh, David had to kind of cover for me. <laughs> he had to take the second chapter, but I left a great big void there, so David was like cleaning up after me and trying to fill in all the places, so I thought this morning we could go back to that and uh, just take a look, slowly take a look at what Peter is reminding, right? The kind of a key word in Second Peter is that word remind, and uh, you know, as I look at out here and and uh, look at you and I know uh, most of you uh, pretty well. Uh, you know, if you're always a testimony. This chapel's a testimony, and I feel like this morning it's not so much exhortation as just good reminders. And, uh, I need those. It's interesting, and you can pray for people that have to. They don't have to, but we have the opportunity to share up here is I find that God kind of takes me into the weeds of what I'm learning and what I'm going to be speaking on, and sometimes it's not always too pleasant. That's like, okay, I have to, the Lord's trying to make sure at least I'm practicing somewhat the things that I'm going to be sharing up here this morning. So uh, if you remember the last, uh, when I shared up here before, I mentioned that there's over 240 promises in the New Testament. And then I, I said, I want to show you some of those. And I, we actually just flashed about 40 promises, uh, you know, slide after slide. And then we ended up with this here, and I want to read it again by Alexander McLaren. I'm getting a little bit of a echo in here. I'm not sure why. Okay. Here's probably what I'm doing. Okay. Uh, he says, we may have as much of God as we will. Christ puts the key of the treasure chamber into our hand and bids us take all that we want. If a man is admitted into a, a bullion vault of a bank and told to help himself and he comes out with only one cent, whose fault is that that he is? Uh, you know, we just went through those verses and I'll read them here. They're so familiar. And that's why I wanted to slow down on this portion as I find for myself some of these portions that we hear so often, we kind of, I blast through them, and I don't stop to say, do you really grasp what this means? And for me, it's just been really 
helpful to just slow it down and let's dig, let's get really deep into what Peter, through uh, the Holy Spirit through Peter is saying. And uh, very familiar verses, and we can quote them. It's in verse 3, it says, As his divine power has given to us all things. Uh, that given is really, I mean, it's just like lavished on us, okay? And uh, all things that pertain to life and godliness, how through the knowledge of him who called us by his glory and virtue, okay? And uh, by which uh, have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you might be partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust, okay? We kind of went through most of that last time. And so I actually want to pick it up here, and hopefully we should. We'll get through uh, verse 11. This is my clicker. Get it? You guys could have let me look for it for a pretty long time. <laughs> All right. So the promises are of God are based upon His glory and virtue. And, and therefore are perfectly reliable because God can never compromise his glory and virtue. So I want us to just see the, the anchor, the, the, uh, the consistency, the reliability of God's promises. It was really interesting to be in, in the, the worship service this morning. And uh, <clears throat> let me just back here in the next. It says that these things are given unto us exceedingly great and precious promises. And that's the perfect tense. And that's so important. And, and as I was going through this yesterday morning, I, I just found my heart just kind of being overwhelmed and just with the goodness and, and everything that God has given to us. But it indicates that the giving had occurred in the past as a completed action, but the effect is still going on. And you think generation after generation, it can never be exhausted. You know, we could never exhaust God's promises, His grace. Um, this morning, we focused a lot on the name of God, right? And actually, there are over 900 titles uh, to God and Christ. And on this slide, I only have about 60 of them. And uh, this is where, as I went through, it was just like, wow, you could part. You can just, you know what, if you if you printed this and put it on a door before you went out each day, I think, you know, I think our hearts would be focused a lot better than a lot of stuff that we're kind of hit with these days. And uh, But you can just see some of those names. Some of them might mean more to you than others, depending on uh, what you have experienced of God. But as I was reading through this, and as important and, and how... Uh, important God says that his name is. Uh, in, in Psalms 138.2, it says, David says, I will worship uh, toward your holy temple and praise your name for your loving kindness and for your true sake. For you have magnified, get this part now, you have magnified your word above all your name. And so when we look at God saying, listen, these are the promises that I've given to you, as much uh, importance that he has placed on, on his name and helping us to understand, he says that his word is actually above his name. 
as first here. And uh, just helps us again just to see, you know, the resource that's available to us and, uh, you know, what he has actually lavished uh, us with, with all the different promises. <clears throat> Tozer says, true faith is never found alone. It is always accompanied by expectation. The man who believes the promises of God expects to see them fulfilled. Where there is no expectation, there is no faith. I know the Holy Spirit has rebuked me many times where I've prayed, and then I kind of go through my day, and I'm not even expecting God to answer that. And then all of a sudden it's answered, and I'm like, wow, I, that's amazing, you know. It's like, no, God wants us. He wants us to claim his promises. He wants us to, you know, bring those promises. It's that, it's that the bank vault again, that, that kind of blank check uh, that we have, right? And uh, so we see everything that he's given us pertaining to life and godliness. And we have to ask the question, why? Like, for what reason has God lavished all this upon us? Uh, and that's what I want to get into on these next verses, because Second Peter and one four, as we pick it up, <clears throat> it says, "By which have given unto." Uh, so I'm sorry. By I'm thinking a lot of different translations when I'm reading this. By which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, um, that through these you might be partakers of the divine nature. See, that's what God wants to do. He gives us all these promises, but they're not just for us, right? Like, we're a new cre a creation in him, and old things are passed away, and all things are become new. And so it, he expects us to conduct our life in a way that reflects this divine nature, that we would be partakers of this. And we know that this is our position in Colossians 1.13. It says, For he has delivered us from the power of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. That's a past thing. He's already completed that, right? And, uh, and so he's, now, he's not referring to uh, something that has to be done. And we'll talk a little bit as we get in uh, the latter verses here that we can go into these portions and we can fall into this performance trap and think, okay, I gotta, <clears throat> I've got to try to get, build these qualities in my life. And, uh, you know, there is an aspect. Remember in uh, Philippians 2.12 where it talks about you need to work out your own salvation. Does that mean that we have to work to earn our salvation? No, it doesn't mean that. But we should be working out these, these uh, incredible uh, promises that God has given, they should be demonstrated that, you know, the, if we use the unfruitful Christian, that should be like the oxymoron, right? Because God expects us to, to be fruitful. He expects us that, you know, as we stay, as it said in John chapter 15, as we stay connected to the vine, you know what, there should be a natural outflow of, of uh, you know, the Holy Spirit working in the life through the Word where it's making a difference in our life. And again, I know I'm, I'm just reminding you of these things. <clears throat> uh, Peter says a lot about this in uh, second and first Peter. Uh, he says to be holy. And I think that's important that you and I can be holy. You know, we don't have to go through the world just, you know, being influenced 
and, and letting that shape us, as it says in Romans chapter 12, 1, and don't let the world conform you. And that, that word right there, conform, is a very interesting term because it actually means don't let it press and shape you into something that you're not. You're not like that. That is not who you are. And, uh, and so here Peter's reminding them again that in 1 Peter, he says, be holy. First uh, Peter 2, one it says, laying aside all malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, evil speaking. First Peter 2.5, offer up spiritual sacrifice uh, acceptable to God. And uh, so we're to continue in these things and evaluate our lives to see, okay, are, am I, are these things being demonstrated in my life? It talks about partakers here, and this is an important word because you, probably most of you aren't old enough, well, some of you are, but you remember, you know, let go and let God. Maybe that's still out there, you know. Oh, you just need to let go and let God. And Like, no, that's not what this word means. This word means, no, you have to take initiative. You have to apply yourself. It's not, it's just going to happen. And this is, this is a head scratcher for me that everything else in life that we do, guess what? We have to work at it, right? Uh, whatever, if somebody's really good at something, you know what? It's because they really have dedicated themselves and they're working towards that. And, uh, <clears throat> and yet I find in our spiritual life, we're just let go and let God, like, you know, I'm just going to go through my day and, you know, somehow God mysteriously is going to do something to conform me to his image. And that's not what the passage is saying here. He's saying, no, look, you have to, you're the one that has to act. And Peter's saying that. You Listen, guys, you have to develop discipline in your life. And uh, <clears throat> yes, we are complete in Christ. But Peter's talking about this process of sanctification, right? And... Uh, <clears throat> I want to take a look at that and look at the order of sanctification. And uh, so what we see is um, you see truth, okay? We are exposed to truth, right? And uh, we, we listen to God's word and we examine it. The Holy Spirit takes and he helps us to understand those truths. And then we have a decision to make. Are we going to walk in those truths or not? And uh, that's always the hard part, right? That's the decision time. And uh, so we walk by faith and say, yes, I'm going to believe God's perspective and what he's saying right there, and then I need to be obedient to that. And it isn't a let go and just let God. And uh, we know that God, we, you know, it. there's a lot of lordship teaching in, in this, lordship salvation teaching. If I say that term, I'm guessing most of you know what I'm talking about, but, you know, that, that's, a, that's a teaching out there that, you know, if you don't make Christ Lord and, and you get completely dedicated to him, then you're really not saved. And they actually use this passage through here as a proof text, but that's not what salvation is. The clear gospel, we grow in our, our knowledge, right? And we grow in our sanctification, and I hope today, I hope this year I'm growing more than I did last year, and we should be growing. But the process of sanctification is first we have to be in God's Word. And guess what? We have to discipline ourselves to be there, right? And it's not just going to happen. 
And uh, I, I tell you what, I without, <laughs> you know what, I don't want to be old and get like, you know, you, you can be really critical and cynical as, as you tack on years. Some of you probably can relate to that. I don't want to be like that. And uh, <clears throat> however, uh, we still have to look at the reality of what's going on. And I tell you, it's appalling the lack of biblical knowledge that is out there and the false teaching and the stuff that we pursue and out there. And it's like, what in the world is anybody even going back to say, okay, I need to take that and compare it to the Word? And I have to say a lot of it is our culture where we get everything off the Internet and we don't examine anything. We just hear it and we, you know, and, and honestly, we don't camp on it too long and we're on to the next thing. But the, the tragic part is that it, it is influencing us. And if we don't take those those philosophies that we're being bombarded with and going back and say, no, wait a minute, let's see what God's word says about that. So we have to immerse, we have to discipline ourselves in truth, and then we have to decide, am I gonna do I agree with that or not? I, I trust that we will, and then am I gonna act upon that? And so that's a whole process of what what Peter is saying here is moving towards godliness. Now, I put Christ-likeness in there because sometimes when we say godliness, it's almost like what's well, something up there that we can never attain to, but it's Christ-likeness. It's the same thing. And uh, so we'll look at that. <clears throat> and then he says that we've escaped the corruption that is in the world. Now, this is a unique term, and only Peter uses it. And I tried to do a lot of research to say, okay, how come Peter's the only one that uses this Greek word? We know that Peter wasn't like a really educated guy like Paul, right? And yet, I don't know if this is a term. Now, this is my speculation. I don't know if this is some kind of nautical term with fishing or, you know, like how do you escape from a net of, you know, a fish escape from a... I don't know. But he mentions it three times. Second Peter, and they're all in Second Peter right here. It says, and we just read the first one, and we won't take time to do that again. But Second Peter two eighteen, he's talking about false teacher, and he says, for speaking out of arrogant words of vanity, they entice by fleshly desires, by sensuality, those who barely escape from the ones who live in error. And then Second Peter 2.20, for after they have escaped, again, talking about false teachers. By the way, <clears throat> when you're reading and studying a passage, you really have to pay attention to who is he talking to. You know, are these saved people? Are they? And this is where in Hebrews you can really get skewed as well. If you don't, uh, you know, really carefully define, okay, who is this really written to? And there's always clues for that. And personally, I don't believe that this is written to unsaved people. First Peter was written to the influences come without the church, right? Second Peter is written to, hey, guys, here's a false teaching that's going to come right up inside of the church. And I tell you what, that does the most damage because it's so subtle and it's hard to deal with. We have relationships with people and it's hard to confront somebody when you see error. And uh, so that's why it becomes more difficult. But so Second Peter 2.20, it's talking about these false teachers that have come up within the ranks of the church. <clears throat> and he says, For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world by the knowledge of the Lord Jesus 
Christ, they are again entangled in them and are overcome. The last state becomes worse for them than the first. Why? You know what? Because there's a high accountability. There's a higher accountability to what we know. And I think that that's a good reminder for us that we can. And you, you probably sadly can look back and you can think of some friends that have turned away and they have gone back. It doesn't mean they lost their salvation, uh, but they walked away from truth. And, uh, you know, that whole process of sanctification kind of broke down, you know. Uh, they haven't agreed with the word. They're not work, walking in faith and they're definitely not walking in obedience. And uh, so Paul is talking about that, you know, that all these things have been given to us that we can escape the corruption that's in the world. <clears throat> um, that cor- word corruption is a it's, a, it's a decaying term. It's not pleasant to look at. And it's like, uh, <clears throat> I re- there's one section where I ride my bike and, and I'm going over an overpass and there's a, you know, they have a big concrete bear, this barricade or whatever. And there was a stinking dead animal on the other side. And every time, I mean, for weeks going through there, I'm like, I'm holding my breath because I know I'm going to, I'm going to pass this place that's really corrupt. And I, it's just like long. And the problem is it's going uphill and I got to breathe too, right? So I made it really hard. So that's the term. It does, you know, just so we get the intensity. It's like rotten flesh. That's what he's he's talking about. For the one who sows to his own flesh shall from the flesh reap corruption. That's the same word right there. But the one who sows to the Spirit shall from the Spirit reap eternal life. And I tell you what, it's good for you and I to recognize that they tell us between three to 300 to 700 messages that were bombarded. Now, I've seen numbers a whole lot higher than that, just these constant messages that are coming. And we tell our children, listen, don't kid yourself. All of us are being greatly influenced as we conduct our days. We don't need, we're not even aware of it. There's billboards, there's conversation, there's radio, all these different things. Do you think they're driving us to a deeper relationship with God? No, they're not. You know, it's the world and these messages constantly getting in. So what Peter is saying, like, guys, you can you you have everything. God has given us all the resources to, that we wouldn't be influenced by that. And uh, we don't have to. And we should stand out. I think the saddest thing, and we know them too, people that claim and they're quite outspoken that they're Christians. And, and, and honestly, I want to say, please don't tell people you're a Christian. Uh, the way you live, uh, the way you react, the way you, you just treat your neighbors like, please just be quiet. And uh, the world needs to see that there's a difference. And this is what Paul, I'm sorry, Peter Peter's a really practical guy, right? And uh, very pragmatic. And, uh, and so he's laying uh, a lot of uh, practical principles down. So what does it look like to be a partaker of the divine nature? See, that's what I want to focus on the rest of the morning. Like, what does that actually look like? <clears throat> so let's read it, starting with verse 5, and we'll read through 11. It says, but also for this very reason, reason, okay, why we have all these resources to us, giving all diligence, add to your faith, virtue, 
virtue and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, for if <clears throat> to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sin. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent. You see the two words diligent there. To make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly in the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So let's just pull this apart a little bit, okay? It starts for this very reason. And again, it refers to all things that pertain to life and godliness and the promises that God lavishes on us constantly. There's no end to them. And I love the study in Ephesians where you remember that it says in many cases that, uh, I have to go to it so I don't distort it. Um, I'll pick one out here. Um, verse 9, one, Ephesians 1, 9. Having made known unto us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed for himself. And that according means that God gives us not a portion out of, but he gives equal to. That's what that word means. It means according to. It's equal to. So it's not like through our life God says, man, I don't have a limited amount of resources. And so and I got this massive humanity. And I just can, okay, I, I can only give Stan this much. Because over here Paul's going to need a little bit. And then Jonathan only. It's not like that at all. You can never get to the end of it. It's like it's equal to everything that God is. And uh, and th- th- that's how God gives us these promises. Second Peter 3, 17 and 18, which is really core to the, his whole letter here. It says, You therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware lest you fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the heir of the wicked, but grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to him be the glory both now and forever. So he actually ends the letter with the same thing that he's talking about right here. He says, giving all diligence. And again, I want to address this this, uh, kind of let go and let God. Diligence is actually a really sweaty word. It means you have to roll up your sleeves. It's like you have to engage in this. And again, nothing else happens in life. This is what kind of boggles my mind, you know. Nothing else in life. I remember listening to uh, some Olympic volleyball players that were being interviewed, and the the the, uh, the uh, commentator said, asked them and said, so how do you train for this event? And they looked at him like, that, that, it almost seemed like that's a dumb question, but they say that, but their facial expression. They said, man, this is how we train for this. It says, volleyball is number one and everything else is second. And volleyball is number one and everything else is second. And uh, that's what this word diligent means. It means, you know what, 
you've got to engage. You have to make time. Um, I work with a lot of leaders, and I, they know one of the first things I'm going to ask is, what are you reading and what are you studying? Because if they're not reading, if they're not studying, I don't think they're going to lead well. You have to keep growing. You have to keep going deeper. And there's so much for us to, to learn and to grow. And so we have to give diligence, and that's what this uh, word means. It, coupled with this word also is urgency. And it's not, I know raising our, our children, <clears throat> and now our grandchildren, although not so much, but uh, it's like you ask them to do something and no response at all. You're like, uh, can you hear pretty good? You know, did you hear what I said? Yeah, I heard it. Uh, I'm going to do it. Well, you know what? Delayed obedience is disobedience. And we said that often. Delayed obedience is disobedience. And so in this diligence, it means, you know, what is it that God is speaking to your heart about now? And uh, are you being obedient to that? Am I being obedient to that? Because there's an urgency. And, and Peter, we know that this is his last letter. This is, uh, he knows that his days are numbered. And, uh, you know, he, he's expressing, look, there is an urgency. And if ever today we're li living in an era where we need to have urgency. And, uh, you know, if God is prompting things on your heart, that we would quickly uh, be obedient to that <clears throat> and not put it off. How many people have we, we talked to years and years after their life, and they said, man, you know what, years ago God really challenged me to engage in this ministry or be a missionary somewhere, and I just didn't do it, and my life is gone now. I can't capture that time back. And uh, that's why, and let me say for young people, it's like, you know, <clears throat> old age and wisdom, by the way, is not synonymous, I found out. <laughs> You don't have to wait till you're old. That if you take truths and apply them today, you know what? You can walk in wisdom. You can walk in godliness. You can walk in all these things. <clears throat> Excuse me. So Paul's saying, listen, trust God and get going, right? This same word is uh, in Mark 6, uh, 24. It's actually translated immediately. But helps us to see that it's not only really applying yourself, but applying yourself right now. Not tomorrow, not next week, um, but right now. And so the, the word immediate is mentioned there. And uh, Luke one thirty nine, same thing that uh, when it says that Mary went to see Elizabeth. It said that she arose and she went in a hurry. It was important. It was a priority. It was the number one thing, not the second thing. And uh, there was a sorting out of priority. Uh, David says in Psalms 119.60, he says, I made haste and did not delay to keep your commandments. And, uh, you know, sometimes when we have clashes with people and you take a couple steps away, you know, what? Uh, that was not something I should have said. You know, immediately that we could go back, correct that. Because here's the thing, if you don't, the Holy Spirit is faithful, and, you know, every time you get and you're in your quiet time, the Holy Spirit is like, hey, remember that, remember that. And we don't want to get to the place where, you know, we can quench that, right? But immediately, and uh, I heard it first from Dan, I think years ago, pro is best eaten warm. 
and uh, <laughs> that's about, so that's what the, the term means here. So let's look at these uh, different uh, um, characteristics that he mentions. He mentions virtue, and when you think of virtue, to me, it's like the whole core, right? It's like uh, everything kind of packaged together. First, he starts, add to your faith. And that's so important because at the beginning, he says, I'm writing to you with like faith. And so this isn't a list for the unsaved. We're not trying to get the unsaved to. And this is why when we're out there and we really get offended by what an unsaved person, they're doing what naturally comes. And by the way, when you're raising children, young children, you're dealing with the raw natural man. And until they come to salvation, you know, it doesn't mean you let them do what they want to do. But, you know, there's, <laughs> it could be, you have to remember that, that, you know, until the Lord really gets a hold of their heart, uh, you're probably going to have to just lay the law down and function according to the law, right? That is what you have to do. Not that there's not grace in there, but but you come back to virtue, and it, it, it also talks about courage, and uh, it's, talks about the one that doesn't run from the battle. So it's talking about believers, and it's talking about our core. You know, he's given us all things that pertain to life and godliness, and uh, and then we, we start walking in that. And so he says, listen, we're going to add to these things. And in the Greek, the order is pretty important here. And so it's as you look at these things, you find out the first part of this is really internal. And, uh, you know, our lives always should be lived inside out. And if they're not, it becomes law. It becomes performance, and it will weary you. It'll discourage you. But, you know, it's the things that take place, the work of the Holy Spirit in our life, and those times that we're we're having, you know, communion and fellowship with God, and he's speaking to us, and he's moving us towards that sanctification. And... uh, So he says, add to these things. And it's interesting, Peter uses knowledge again. And uh, I think there was four or five terms where he talks about in the knowledge of Christ, in the knowledge of Christ. And that's where it has to start. And that's why our our, uh, worship time, our communion time uh, in the, the service before this are so precious, right? We focus on him. And uh, this knowledge is a functional, again, uh, it's a very practical knowledge. It's not just a head knowledge, but you're moving and you're learning and you're experiencing more. And the only way that you can experience more, if you look at the life of Abraham, where God, you know, for 25 years, he kept giving his promise out there. And and you get to chapter 14, you get to chapter 15 in Genesis. And, uh, you know, you, you can almost see that Abraham's like, God, I really, I, I believe you, but I just don't get it. I don't see how you're going to do this. And uh, I, I almost envision that, you know, God taking his arm, putting it around Abraham, said, Abraham, look up. You know, you see all them stars. And so he was taken on a journey, and, and Abraham's life is so important because of the principles of faith that we could see. Output. But you know what? It was a growth process. It was a growth process to where when God said, you know what, I wanted you to take Isaac. And there was a process there. And uh, he grew in his faith. How did he grow in his faith? He reckoned with truth. He believed God and he acted in obedience. 
and, and thus you see it, you know. And so that's what this knowledge is. Um, <clears throat> you got to keep going, otherwise I have to come up here and speak again on the rest of it. <laughs> okay, then he says, add to your knowledge uh, self-control. And uh, <clears throat> in your knowledge, supply self-control. It actually says, get a grip of yourself. Get a grip of your passion. You should be the one that's controlling them. As believers, we don't have to succumb to the corruption that's in the world. We, we can make a choice that we don't have to. We have all the power. We have all the resources. We don't have to cave into that. We, we don't have to say, the devil made me do it. We don't have to say, well, I just couldn't help myself. It just caught me at a bad time. No, no. We always have a choice. And uh, 1, Corinthians, uh, 1 Corinthians 9, 24 and 27, Paul says, you know what? I make my body a slave. Who's, who's in charge of who? You know, our body's not. Kevin and I have this conversation, especially when we're exercising. And, uh, you know, it's like we don't listen to our body. Even we have to, right? You can't be stupid. But, you know, just because you're tired or you don't feel like going or I don't feel like getting up in the morning, we don't listen to our bodies. You have to make a decision. No, I have to discipline myself. And unfortunately, every time you talk like that or most of the time you talk like that today, it's like, oh, this is legalism, you know. You got to let go and let God. Where's the grace? And uh, it's interesting that, if, if you remember Lance Latham, some of you know, he's one that started the WANA a program. He was actually started New Tribes Mission. He was one of the board members. This guy was the most gracious guy if you ever met him, you know. He's passed away now. But if you said Lance Latham, the next word you would think of, right, you would think of grace. But I tell you what, that guy was disciplined. And he, he knew most of the New Testament by memory. He used to teach in Romans, and when his eyesight got bad, his Bible would be upside down, and he would just be going at it. And I'm like, what? <laughs> but if you talk about discipline today, it's like, oh, no, that's, you know what, that's just kind of legalism. And by the way, I've done that to Bible school students, and I haven't said, yeah, we, there's no way we can structure our life like you do. Like, well, it's interesting. You structure your life after the things that you really care about, right? I mean, uh, what? Tell me what you're interested in, and or tell me what you're good at, and how did that happen? You know, it just didn't happen by you floating through the day, and it just all of a sudden you could play the piano really well. Now you have to work at it, and it's the same with our, our lives. I know you guys are reading while I'm talking, so I'm not. That's the, that's the beauty of a PowerPoint, right? Okay, patience. It's it's a little unfortunate that they translate this word patient because it means a whole lot more than that. It means fortitude. It doesn't mean, and, and this is so important for us today as we live. And people, I ask people, how are you doing? They say, man, I'm hanging on. I'm like, wait a minute. As believers, we should be doing a lot more than just holding on. And this word patient means that, no, you're more than conquerors, as it says in, uh, where is it, uh, Romans chapter 8, 32. But listen, we're more than conquerors. We're conquerors, but we're even more than that. And uh, <clears throat> it's, it's kind of like Beethoven. You know, he loses his hearing, and he refused the fortitude that he had. He's like, man, and, and after that, he wrote some of his best pieces. And that's, that's what it's talking about here. 
And it's not that we're just kind of hanging on, oh, Lord Jesus, come, you know, I just can't hardly take this. And are you kidding me? All this stuff that he's given to us, and we're just barely hanging on? Uh, we should get back in and find out who who is the God that we serve and uh, all the resources that he's given to us, and he's conquered way, way more, and uh, or we can, uh, because of uh, what he's given to us. If you look this word up, and I, I would challenge you to look it up, especially today where I do feel like we do need endurance. Hebrews chapter 10, remember it says, and you have need of endurance. It's the same word. And I find there are times where I have to admit, you know what, I, I really need this. And I'm getting fatigued. I'm getting fatigued with some of the stuff I see around me. I'm getting fatigued with, you know, there's a lot of different things. Traveling today is like I don't even want to do it, you know. and uh, but then I come back and say, you know what, that's not, that's not the characteristic that God wants. That, that's not, this means, you know what, we should, even, we should be doing well and even more on top. That's what that, this word means. <clears throat> okay, then he, he talks about godliness. Kind of interesting, he didn't talk about godliness first. Right? He, or, and, and it's like, how are we going to, how is this characteristic going to be demonstrated in our life? You know what? It starts with faith, starts with knowledge, starts with discipline, starts with fortitude. And guess what? And then we move towards godliness. And then we've, we're going to see that godliness, now we've got enough happening. Like we're like an artesian well. Not like a sinkhole. It's artesian well. You know how artesian well, it's the source is always higher than itself. That's why it just kind of keeps coming out. And and that's that's the picture of how we should be. And when we get to that place, now we're actually willing to give out. And I've had many times in my life where I haven't been that way, and, and I've realized, you know what, I am not in a position to be interacting with people that are working through difficult things and need counsel because I, I'm, I'm, I'm just not in a good, my condition is not well. So it gives into the godliness. And godliness is the inner response in the believer to the things of God which work itself out in godly reverence. Uh, how do I explain that? And uh, I think it's going through your day constantly aware of God's presence. And it's so important as we go through our day and we're like, man, I, it, what do you think about that, God? And we can commune with him at any time. And he uses the word reverence. And it's reverence toward the one and only God. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, in a culture that's so focused on ourself, uh, we don't think of reverence too much anymore. Actually, when I looked this word up, I think it was seven or eight pages down the website before I actually got reverence to God. Now, that's how many pages I had to go down. And uh, it's that kind of life which he would wish us to live. It's that inner attitude of reverence which seeks to please God in every thought, word, or deed. Then it gets into brotherly kindly, uh, kindness. Family, it's, it's kind of a, it's the phileo love, right? It's a friendship love. It's a love that, you know what, you have to interact with people. You have to invest in people. You have to get to know them. It's involvement with each other. It's that David and Jonathan love that he's speaking of. And then the next one, of course, is the agape love. It's unconditional. It's a sacrificial love. It's not a higher love, but it's a completely different love. And uh, it's not concerned.
about self at all. It's a love that Christ had when he died on the cross for us. And so these are the these are the things that that Peter's saying, you know what? All the things pertain to life and godliness. The outworking of them should look like that. Uh, this is what that looks like. And if these things are yours and abound, you will neither be barren, which means lazy, useless, or idle, nor unfruitful in our knowledge. There's that term again, in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know what? If, you, if you're going through life and you just feel like, man, you know what? I'm just totally knocked off my equilibrium. And I, I don't even know where to cite my compass anymore. What you need to do is go back and, uh, and gaze at Christ. That's, that's where you have to start. And because uh, that's what he says, through the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, Mark 4.19, <clears throat> he uses the same word and fruitful there. And we know it's the parable of the sower. And so Jesus helps us understand why the word of God may not be, <clears throat> uh, may not be unfruitful in a person's life, teaching him, uh, teaching his disciples that. And he lists them right there in that passage, the worries of the world. And uh, you start looking around thinking like this is our eternal home or something. And we need to realize, you know what? We're actually all visitors or guests here. Our home is somewhere else. And uh, the deceitfulness of riches, picking up with wrong things, desire for other things, enter and choke and the word, and it becomes unfruitful. So Peter's saying, you know what? Um, I'm going to have to jump ahead because I ran out of time again. But he's saying, you know what? Um, Walk in these things because when you get to face Christ, you're not going to be ashamed. This, you're not going to be saved. It has nothing to do with that. But there is a stewardship. There is a stewardship with the things that God gives us. And Peter's saying, man, walk in these things. I'm at the end of my life. And a matter of fact, I just think it's days and I, I'm going to be done. And so I'm passing on. And I think he looks back and he say, he's given them everything that he can pass on, the most important thing. Walk in these things. I'm just going to scoot uh, this slide here. Leave it at that. Thank you.